We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Sam, listeners, Lightyear's podcast, do you ever feel like you're always on? What do you do when you need a moment to chill? How do you like to hit the reset button to get ready for what's next? There's only one beer out there that's literally made to chill, and that's Coors Light. The mountains on the bottles and cans even turn blue when your beer is cold. Wow, that's amazing. That way, you always know when it's time to chill. When you need to hit reset, just open up the Coors Light. It's mountain cold refreshment and made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. And as always, celebrate. This is Greg Olson here to tell you about my new podcast, TE1. On the show, I had a chance to talk to my fellow tight ends who have revolutionized the position from an extra lineman to a dual threat superstar. And just like my guests have changed the game, this year, NFLSundayTicket.tv is revolutionizing your NFL viewing experience. Stream all the live out-of-market NFL games every Sunday on your favorite devices and never miss a moment from your favorite players. Visit NFLSundayTicket.tv and use the promo code GREG88 at checkout and get 15% off your subscription. That's NFLSundayTicket.tv and the promo code GREG88. Subscribe to TE1 and get NFLSundayTicket.tv, an unmatched dual threat. gotta say the nba is officially back when the rockets are finding ways to self-implode i watched the entire game sam partly in the background but i truly at at one time truly never felt that houston was going to win but also never really felt that they were going to lose and it's just the most rockets thing i've ever seen just this is the epitome. I think this was one of their best performances yet at being the Houston the Rockets. The Rockets have circulated stars to create <laughs> the perfect team to be the Oakland A's where every year you talk yourselves into them winning a title. And then when they lose, you're like, I should have never believed in this team. I knew they didn't have it. They've literally uh, circulated every t- – by the way, I'm reverse jinxing my A's. I'm yeah, gonna, I was going to say that's, that's tough gonna, on the A's. I'm going to go this way with my Oakland A's until they actually 
uh, win one again. By the way, that's, that's Mike Miner. I don't know if that's a good pickup. He used to be good, I guess. No, it's a good pickup. But I mean, is, is it a? Is it? He's going to start, but is it moving the needle? Hey, anyway, that's a different. We're not. We're not getting into that. <laughs> Oakland A's. Um, we've gotten a. We've gotten a little criticism for going a little too off topic on NBA. So I'm going to try to keep it on topic. With that said, um, oh, just the Rockets. You know, I, I I have a lot of Warriors stuff I want to discuss today, but we need to revel in this a little bit. Off a little that. bit. Truly, you know, even when you play basketball or you watch people play basketball, it's cool to shoot a three. But like I see Giannis shoot a three in the first quarter, Sam, and I'm like, okay, you know, get your rhythm in. But come crunch time, you never see Giannis shoot a three. And maybe that's a problem. Maybe he should work on that. But the Rockets do not care. Do not care. They truly don't care. Eric Gordon is shooting a three in the first from 30. Then he's shooting the same three with 20 left on the shot clock in the fourth. I think like that to me. Well, it's like one of the lamest conversations I feel like is like analytics first eye test. Um, And and I don't want to say it's lame because (laughs) I think one's better than the other. I think it, it always leads to kind of a bunch of straw man argument both ways. And but the Rockets, they just, they're an example of why you never go to one specific extreme. Because while playing the numbers is always going to render you a certain amount of success, you also have to play the situation. And watching James Harden just decide to not assert himself when he absolutely should assert himself. Or, you know, just like never take anything but a step back or foul bait in key moments is just a reminder of like, okay, man, if you do this over 82 games, I know you're going to win 55 games because statistically it's proven to work and uh, you're just that good. But in a specific one game scenario, sometimes you have to just go to what's going to produce the highest outcome of that specific shot. And that's where the Rockets drive me insane. You got Russ who wants to do it, but I'm not sure he's good enough to do it anymore. You know, actually, I'm, it's not that I'm not sure. I, I feel pretty confident he's not. Um, and then you got Harden. My buddy. Who's, my buddy t- I mean, I was going to say, then you got Harden who's, um, I mean, you're just never going to see Harden dribble into a 15-footer because that's what the defense gives him in crunch time, even though if that's what the defense gives him in crunch time and they just need one to two buckets, he should do it to seal the game. There's, there's a part of this, too. Uh, by the way, my buddy texted me. He said he doesn't watch much basketball, maybe like once a year, maybe twice if the Warriors are in the finals. Text me and goes, yeah, I've been, you know, I know OKC. I've watched Russ and KD, and I've seen this fucking guy make these same mistakes 11 years ago. How the hell does he still get the ball in crunch time possessions? Isn't that kind of like a Russ and Harden problem, too? Why does Russ have the ball there? Why, why is he dribbling in against three people and making that pass? Um, anyway, that's for another time. Or that's another thing. I find it fascinating that Steve Kerr preaches like the, the the balance. He's on one side, right? Where you're like working on all these little things in the regular season, really like to a fault. Sometimes where it's like, I don't know if we should care about making all these quote unquote right plays, but it works in the playoffs. Then you go to the Houston Rockets and Sam, I don't, are they the right plays? Because I guess the math says they're the right plays. I don't think that they're actually the right place. I don't think driving in for a layup and then driving and kicking, there are so many times that I was just like, Eric Gordon, you should just probably drive in and shoot the ball. And so this is where, this is where I don't know if it's the right play. I don't. This is, this is where 
it's it's I don't know if I'm going to make this point clearly, so I'm going to try my best here. Um, a lot of uh, analytics comes down to trying to get players to buy into making the most statistically sound play and taking free will and decision making out of their heads. So, like Eric Gordon is coached, if you're open from three, take it. If not, head down to the rim and then either shoot a layup or, or a kick out. And what that leads to is inability of players to improv. And I do think historically we probably, you know, kind of over fetishize, you know, like the Kobe mid-range, like triple pump fake pull up. But there has to be some sort of ability for a player to understand how to freelance. And that's always the tough part. Like sometimes we get on Kerr about it where it's like, just let Steph probe a little bit. Give him a little more freedom. And I honestly, I would say to Kerr's credit, he probably gives Steph more of a leash than we give him credit for. But in <laughs> at the end of the day, what we're talking about is like this push-pull between you want to have your team structured to work for the best shots. And the best shots are typically open threes or layups. Yep. Uh, but you also need to give your 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 kind of best players that the you need to push them to be creative because end of the day you can't always get that shot and like I feel like we're gonna tie this to our overall theme but like look at Kawhi Leonard for example right or you know KD on the Warriors any of the past years or anything right like those guys they're very comfortable in every situation yep. and get and taking whatever shot the defense gives them. And then with them, you're just really working on them trying to like balance the ability to trust their teammates versus take the shot. Okay. So I, I think, th- and then it, and then it goes to leadership. I think we, we did a series of podcasts about the last dance. And one of the issues I think with James Harden, Daryl Morey is that you have Daryl Morey at the top who's pushing all these things that he wants to do, which is essentially everything that we're seeing. I don't know if that's what Mike D'Antoni wants to do. I'm sure Mike D'Antoni's like, fine. Like, we, we win a bunch of games. Like, we'll do it. The issue here is there has to be some type of resistance. It's like we talk about Steve Kerr and, like, bring on Alvin Gentry because we need some type of resistance from the Right, right. There, it seems to be that there's zero here. Now, in the NBA, there's just very rarely any resistance from the coaching staff whenever a star player wants to do something. But then you talk about, like, Steph Curry. And even, like, Kevin Durant in the first couple seasons as a Warrior, or the first season, let's take the first season, for example, where he really bought into what the Warriors want to do. Dude, they were, like, the greatest team or the second greatest team of all time when he bought in, right? And, and he did a lot of what he wanted to do, but he still... Well, so, it, I mean, it does tie to it's Steve's corny strength in numbers, which is like idealism. But like at its core, the, the best basketball you're going to produce is when there is constructive criticism and creative tension between all parties, right? Like you want, you want Steve pushing at Steph to be better and Steph not taking it personally. But you also want Steph and assistance pushing back at Steve because it's always going to be better when you get more voices coming together for one finite thing. I feel like this is turning into some sort of like new age Silicon Valley uh, business podcast. <laughs> and, and end of the day, well, you look at um, Harden, there's only one guy in the room. You look at Russell Westbrook. Somebody said, somebody tweeted that uh, th- this is the same thing that happened with Kevin Durant where why did Russell Westbrook have the ball at the end? It's because Russ wanted the ball. He just right. wanted the ball more. And it's like, you, you, who do you think, who, Sam, who do you think? Do you th- yeah, do you think D'Antoni was like, James, get in the corner. 
I need Russ here. Yeah. <laughs> Come and, and on, I man. Think, uh, yeah, and Harden's part of it. And by the way, did you see Chris Paul's comments after the game where he literally said, ask him about game seven, and he said, so, some, some guys, yeah, shit like game. For this. Yeah. yeah. Like Dave, which is, I thought was interesting because Dave, I don't know about that one, um, which is, again, I guess that. I thought the Dame thing was a shot at Russ, but. Um, I thought I thought it was a shot at Harden, but hey, it could work both ways. Yeah, <laughs> it could yeah. It work both ways. Because I feel like part of it, I thought of this comparison, isn't Chris Paul kind of like Jimmy Butler too in this situation? Where, yeah, they are. Right? I mean, you, you can kind of explain it, but we watched Jimmy Butler today. He looked fantastic. The Heat looked fantastic. And uh, I think part of it. He's is, probably not going to shoot like that every game. If he does, we need to say he's the best player in the NBA. But yeah, <laughs> but he kind of shot 25% from three on the season. So he, le- he leaves he's good, Ben though. Simmons. And then Chris Paul leaves James Harden. And I think a lot of the criticism that those guys had internally of the guys that they left is that, or not they left, but they got traded off of was that, dude, you don't want to play with these guys. Well, both those guys, we, we, it's public knowledge. Both those guys pushed. They, they kind of, so Chris Paul and, and Jimmy Butler are not political. If they have a problem with you, they're going to tell you to your face. At least on the court. Yeah. Um, and... So in Jimmy's case, it was known that he called out Ben Simmons and Ben Simmons didn't like that. And then Chris Paul, it's also known that he kind of would always be yapping at James uh, because, and I, and I honestly believe in both cases, it's because they think those guys are better than what they do. Like they, they, in their talents, obvious. And both those guys did not like it. And what happened? The team ended up trading him. And I want to take this to a different, uh, a, a different direction. Philly's front office, Sam Hinkie's gone, but most of the people in that front office are still Hinkie leftover guys. They're essentially Rockets guys. This all goes back to the same philosophy, which is cater to your stars. And I think catering to your stars raises your floor more than anything because we both know in basketball, if you have James Harden out there, you're going to win 50 games. You're going to demolish the Kings four times a year. You're going to demolish Phoenix four times a year. You're going to rack up the W's that way. But are you going to hit the highest ceiling if no one's willing to get in Harden's face and you know, tell him you're, you're better than this? You, you, you're capable of being as good as LeBron, Katie, whoever it may be. Yep. Yep. You, you know, Just kind of like the, the classic Phil Jackson, Greg Popovich thing where they push guys. And those organizations aren't willing to because they're afraid their star players are going to leave them for agency. You can even see it with Ben Simmons who won't take a jump shot, right? Do you think Steve Kerr wants to coach Ben Simmons? Like, let's just talk about this. Like, one of our rundown topics was the Philly dysfunction and kind of trade possibilities there. Do you think Steve Kerr would want to coach Ben Simmons? Are you asking me? Or I should be asking Sam sources. I should be. I should be asking. I'm asking you. you. I mean, you. You I, understand the the Kerr family. I mean, you and Margo get tea every now and then. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I. You know, interestingly enough, I pretty much love every single Kerr philosophy in right. terms of basketball. I, mean, I guess politically, but in terms of basketball, I understand all of it. I would not want Ben Simmons personally. So I think. That probably means it's, that Steve Kerr doesn't want to coach Ben Simmons. It's hard. It, the problem is, like, I agree with you. I, I would assume Steve Kerr doesn't want to coach Ben Simmons. He, yeah, he doesn't. I think he probably views him as a guy who's not very serious about winning um, because the fact he hasn't even – like, we all uh, get on Draymond about his jump shot, but at least he's willing to take the shot, right? There's a big difference between taking the shot, not making it, 
like uh, LeBron or even worse, Draymond, and just not wanting to take the shot. And But then this is where the uh, the fan in, in me comes out where I'm like, but he's so talented. I agree. I, yeah, it's it's so – the potential is so tantalizing, right? A lot of, I think a lot of people would probably rather have Ben Simmons than Joel Embiid. Let me ask you this. Because Steve Kerr didn't like D'Angelo Williams from the jump because D'Angelo Williams was someone that – D'Angelo Russell. D'Angelo Williams was a, was a pretty solid running back. running back for a while. I'm thinking of – I'm thinking of, I have an auction – or they call it a salary cap draft now. I have one next week. So I'm just – mine's on football now. Um, but D'Angelo Russell – Kerr didn't like him because a lot of most of the time for him to run in a successful offense, he needed the ball. Isn't that the same with Ben Simmons? Like for Simmons, he's not playing off ball, Sam. He's not setting a screen. He's not cutting baseline. Well, he, he's kind of good there. But I actually don't agree not, with you there. But he's bo- he boxes himself into being kind of a center on offense. You know what I'm saying? He when he could be so much more. He could be so much. And I don't know. Like he forces <laughs> you, know you now Kerr. to build the most. The, the the if you're gonna have Ben Simmons on your team, you need everyone else to be a shooter. He just forces concessions that like, I, I mean, Steph, let's put it this way: Steph could force concessions if he wanted to with ego. He could be like, "I want the ball in my hands," but he doesn't because he realizes him being versatile enough to play without ball allows them to do more creative things. I, you know what I think? I think Steve Kerr doesn't think he can coach Ben Simmons. I think with with Steph Curry and Klay Thompson, I think Andre Godala, who's willing to take a bench role, uh, Draymond Green, who he got, you know, he had some issues, right? But they got together and they figured it out because I think Draymond's not like Ben Simmons, right? Ben Simmons was number one pick the whole way. I don't think that Steve Kerr thinks he can coach him. Now, doesn't the same thing apply to Joel Embiid, though? Doesn't the same thing apply to someone like that where it's like, do you think you can coach Joel Embiid? Do you think Steve Kerr can tell him to stop shooting dumbass threes because he's like a 20 Okay, so let's go into this. So um, this is on the rundown. So Joel Embiid tweeted, if, dot, 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 when Jimmy Butler was cooking. At this point, we've had multiple people confirm well, actually, not even multiple people. Joel Embiid confirmed it through his own words. He was really upset when they let Butler and J.J. Redick go. Those were his guys. Um, Joel Embiid's not without flaws. One of, to me, his biggest flaw is his inability to pass out of a double team. Like He's just a turnover if you send a second guy to him. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But I don't think his shot selection is a function of some sort of weird ego thing as much as he's playing with four dudes who all want to play in the post with him and he can't get to his spots. Maybe he needs to fight a little harder. Mm -hmm. I think that's fair, but I don't think he's a dude who's not trying to win. Yeah. I I, I always go back to the, the last play of the, the Toronto Raptors series, the one where Kawhi hit the famous game winner. Yeah. And uh, you know, Philly literally could have ended them there. We could have Philly could have been the NBA champions. Honestly, I think if Philly beats them, they probably beat Milwaukee. And God knows what happens with the Warriors. But if the Warriors' bodies fall apart, Philly would win, right? So, um, wow, they're that close, right? Yeah, I mean, I they keep were going back. To, yeah, I, I mean, keep going. Right. I keep going back to this. Who was guarding Kawhi? Ben Simmons. Who? Who uh, kind of gave up when he got a screen, and who guarded him to the last shot? Right. Joel Embiid. Right, right. I I don't know. Like my my concerns with Embiid are more. I don't know if his body holds physical. up. Physical. 
Yeah. I, I don't know if he has it in him to play a full long playoffs without an injury. And you compound that with staff and like, I'm like, I don't know, man, that's all rough. But I do not question the guy's commitment to winning or his ability to sacrifice for the team because he's still willing to do everything defensively. And he, he probably tries to do too much on offense. When I watch him on offense, I see a guy who's trying to do too much. When I watch Ben Simmons on offense, I watch a dude who's only willing to do what he's comfortable doing. I think those are two completely different things. That's it. I think I love that. That's great. Um, I think there is also there's a higher ceiling with what uh, Joel Embiid can do. I think I watch him and I but think But there's a higher team ceiling with Ben Simmons. Is there though? Is there because you almost kind of have to play like he's almost He's not LeBron, but he plays that style where, to me, he has the ball so much. Where they already have, well, I guess you trade Draymond and get Ben Simmons, but I think there there is part of it where is Ben Simmons going to be doing or going to want to do the things that Draymond Green did? Set screens, right? Kind of play that role defensively, and I don't know. It feels like to me he wants to play the role that Draymond plays offensively as so the he was one, he was guard, one, but he's he way one, better. He was willing to do it at the end, but it is to be seen how much he's willing to buy into that role. I look at it this way. From a pure basketball standpoint, um, Ben Simmons offers you more defensive versatility. Like He can just guard more guys. He can do more things. Um, I just called out his situation versus Kawhi in the playoffs, but this year he's been phenomenal on defense. He's legitimately – he won't make first team – no, actually he might as a guard. He he plays – He's a wing in. defender, right. He play, yeah, he's probably one through five, actually. He is. He's good enough to do it, whereas Embiid actually probably offers more offensive versatility because he's willing to try to do everything. He's willing to be a screen setter. He's willing to be a post-up threat. He's willing to be a, pop, a pick-and-pop guy. I don't know how good he is at it, but um, he's willing to do all those things. And I think, I mean, you're talking about two separate things, and I guess we should back this up. Um, Philly obviously fired Brett Bowne since our last podcast. Yeah. And I actually wanted to talk about this a little bit. And um, they they're are, nice. they're, it just feels like they're going to they're gonna break up the team. It may not happen this summer. It may happen next summer. But we know the Warriors are big game hunters, and those are two of the bigger catches you can get, you know? Uh, okay, so I'm going to let you talk about kind of the organization because, you know, there are things that are like, well, if they don't really have front office, how are they going to trade players? And then well, we who, just don't know what the, new, the front yeah, office is going to look like after. Um, no idea. No, they're, they're, clearly, they, they're, they're clearly restructuring things because, well, they're they've taken a step backwards i also think that we talk about the suns and you're like all right marquise chris could be good on the warriors kelly Oubre, you know he might be good on the good team i think the same goes for the sixers man like i don't yeah. think you know i i don't think this is just because they're, they're in the higher ceiling by the way they're more talented than kelly Oubre, but yeah <laughs> no, it no, is no, a no. similar kind of dysfunction that's exactly what I mean. That's exactly what I mean, right? Where it's like, yeah, be, these guys are like semi conference semifinal guys, teams, but I don't think it never felt that they were playing together or that any each any of these players were maximized. So I think the same goes with Simmons and Embiid, and and really like on another scale, dude. I think like Al Horford's part of it, where I think you put these guys on a team like the Warriors next season, and it is a lot different. Like I don't think Al Horford's the contract is bad. I don't know how bad he truly is if he's playing the five for the Warriors. It's just no. He a was lot of it's he just was a team. He was uh, productive during that span that Embiid missed games injured, 
Like he played the five. Was he's he not as Paul good? Millsap washed? You know what was I mean. He, was he as good as he was two years ago? No, because he's thirty three instead of thirty one. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, your point stands. And that's the other thing about Philly. If you were to ask me how to build the perfect roster about Simmons and Embiid, I would literally be like the opposite of what they did, right? Because what they did is they got a bunch of guys who want to operate in the exact same positions that their two best players do. And, to buy it, and we're, we won't get into – we're not talking about Philly. But, yeah, I, I think it's um, – I, I don't know how realistic it is that the, that Philly even trades those guys because of the front office, right? I think it's more yeah, realistic and, that, and, they and you, that they would do it. I think, like, the package is fine. I don't know if the front office – I mean, I'm not, just thinking of it from a Philly perspective, if I'm Philly – I'm trying to fire the head coach and restructure around the core before I break up the core. Cause you know, you're not getting equal value. You're not trading Ben Simmons for, um, I don't know. Well, Luke is just better than him, but, um, wow. What did uh, that come from? I was just trying to think of like, uh, you're, you're probably not getting a star for star trade. Like you're not trading Embiid for, uh, um, uh, uh, who's a who's a comparable player to Embiid? Like Damian Lillard, right? So like that, like that's probably not going down. But uh, I was thinking Towns, maybe. But um, no, but you're right. I, I, you're not getting. You're 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 getting a cash. You're very right? you're very getting rarely games. getting like the 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 one for one trade never happens. Yeah, no. Um, it, it's too bad because I look I look at the Warriors and and you you remember the Cavs? We talked about this separately. Trading trading the pick. Trading Andrew Wiggins uh, for Kevin Love, and it just seemed like fair value both ways. Which I think it kind of worked out, sort of. Not really, I guess, with Minnesota, but it it just seemed like it did for Minnesota because they got Carl Anthony Towns. Now they did they um, did they do a good job with the things they got? No, but like I mean, you <laughs> could see you could see like okay, if Sam Presti got a rookie. Wiggins and then drafted Towns. I feel like that would turn out better than how it did in Minnesota. Yeah, I mean better. Yeah, <laughs> correct. Um, Lou Dort, God, just just what? How does Sam Presti do it? He just he just he's a master at grabbing. No one, players. no one is no one is better at finding wing defenders who have suspect shots just than crazy. than Sam Presti. Actually, Darius Basley. Yeah, I don't. Is I he mean, a wing though? He's Darius Baisley, by the way, same age as Alan Smilagich. Just, just a reminder for those of you who think there's some huge upside to Smiley. He may be good, but he's not that young. I don't also, know. Darius Darius Baisley also playing in Game Six of a first. That's my point. Season. That's my point. Darius Baisley. Darius Baisley. I don't know how good he'll be, but he definitely has the tools to be an impact NBA player. He does. Um, he does. And he turned 20 right before the bubble. Smiley Geach turned 20 in the bubble. So my point is they're the exact same age. Um, to, to be fair, he was a first-round pick, though. So Yeah. Um, he shouldn't but, have gone in the first round. They yeah. they reached for him. or yeah. Well, no, they didn't reach because it was the right pick. You're probably not going to get a better player at 23 than him. Basically. All right. Uh, before we move on here, let's do a couple reads. Uh, DoorDash. We got DoorDash. Sam, I, I love – like, I love – Nonstop boba. That's what I do. Every other day, DoorDash, boba. Just even even some of the restaurants that I love that my friends are uh, my friend zone are on DoorDash. So 
Blue Wire got them on. Uh, you've counted on restaurants. Now they're counting on you. And while their dining rooms may be closed, they're still open for delivery with DoorDash. Sam, there's literally nothing worse than like walking down like Richmond or Sunset or even like or driving downtown and seeing these restaurants that are like empty. So please, for the people that are listening, get DoorDash. It's the app that brings you the food that you're craving right to your door. These restaurants need to make money too. Um, ordering is easy. Open a DoorDash app, choose what you want to eat, and your food will be left safely outside your door with the new contactless delivery drive-off setting. Choose from your favorite national restaurants like Chipotle, Wendy's, Cheesecake Factory. I say choose the local restaurants that you go to regardless, right? Stuff that you were going to before the... Uh, oh, great. Yeah. Um, so, oh, and, and the next line. Many of your favorite local restaurants are still open for delivery. Just open the DoorDash app, select your favorite spot, and your food is on its way. So right now, our listeners can get $5 off and zero delivery fees on their first order of $15 or more when you download the DoorDash app and enter code BLUEWIRE. So that's five bucks off, zero delivery fees on your first order. Download the app, BLUEWIRE. Don't forget, that's code BLUEWIRE, $5 off your first order of DoorDash. Uh, Sunday ticket. Ooh, football's coming back. I can't wait to, uh, I think, what's that, Clyde Edwards-Hilaire? I think he's going for like 100 bucks. In this uh, auction league that I'm going for, Sam, I think I think he's going first. That that's how much hype he's gotten for being a rookie running back. But those are running backs. So Sundays are coming back in the NFL. You can watch the Chiefs all you want or the Niners uh, with NFL Sunday Ticket or the Raiders. TV. You can stream every live out of market NFL game every Sunday afternoon on your favorite devices. Plus Red Zone, Direct TV, Fantasy. Uh, zone channels. Never miss your favorite team and favorite players. No matter where you live. Uh, NFLSundayTicket.tv is your key to the most glorious Sundays ever. Use the promo code BLUEWIRE at checkout to get 15% off your subscription. Visit NFLSundayTicket.tv. Use promo code BLUEWIRE. How excited are you for the NFL coming back? I can't, I can't wait. Fred Warner got COVID, which is kind of problematic. But other than that, I'm, I'm, I'm excited because, well, first of all, no, no, really, no real cases. So I think great on the NBA and the NFL for figuring that out. The MLB sort of had a little bit of hiccup, but it's fine now. I mean, even our even uh, our Oakland A's, your and my Oakland A's, um, it, the early reports, the early tests show is a one isolated case. I'm not even sure it was a player. But, yeah. um, I, football is the best, man. We love basketball. This is a basketball podcast, but football is um, it's once a week. It's once a week. I can't wait to the see. Older, the older you get, the more you appreciate the simplicity of the once a week yeah. structure. It's just a little easier with, with oh. work stress. Be- believe me, it's like one of those things where I'm sitting here now and it's like 3.30. I know it's not normal, but it's like 3.30 and then 6 o'clock on a weekday. And then every weekday there's basketball games. And I'm like, you know, it, I do kind of want to go outside for a second sometimes. But I also, I do, I do need to watch Lou Dort. I do need to watch Lou Dort, Sam. You can't resist it. And Jimmy All Butler. Right. So the main topic I wanted to get into on this pod, and sorry, the Rockets got us too hyped that we went on different different tangents. But um, all right, so we've now officially seen almost the whole first round of the playoffs. We got a couple game sevens, pretty exciting. And I'm watching this from a lens of what the Warriors need to do to compete with these teams next year. So I want to start with the broad question: One, how do you feel about the Warriors compared to these teams? Ooh, this is a big question. Um, okay, take out the qualifiers. I kind of don't want to say like it depends who they get because I think that's the bailout. Well, of answer. course it does, but yeah, <laughs> yeah. it's just it's just like uh, fine. And we've said that a million times. But let's just talk. End of day, Steph, Clay, Draymond. I think that they are. 
I think that they're right at the top with contending with every team. Talent-wise, I don't think that they're there with, for example, like the Clippers today. I don't think that they're there with if you have, you know, Avery Bradley on the Lakers or, or whatever. But I do think that in any given series, they're beating any of these teams. And I don't think it's like, a, oh, they have a shot at it, Sam. You know what I mean? I don't think it's like, oh, they I mean, I do think, seven. It's, I think funny, that- it's funny how, um, how they get a rep for choking when no Steph Curry playoff team has lost in under six games. Like they've never, they've never been swept. They've never been swept. They've never even lost in five. They're, they're good for two games. Minimum. Everything goes wrong. They win two games. You watch this. I'm just watching this OKC Houston series. I'm watching the Denver Nuggets and the Utah Jazz. By the way, I think one of the things I'm watching the Denver Nuggets and Utah Jazz game where you got guys that are dropping 60 points. I, I, look, it's great basketball, Sam. It's a bit of a joke. It's not like, great it's basketball. A, it's, it's, it's fun. I it's actually, entertaining. It's fun. I think but it's a bit OK, of a joke. I think the OKC Houston game was maybe my favorite game of the bubble because there was actual defense played in it. Yeah, but it was also it was kind of ugly. Uh, it, it was the, it was ugly. Houston's Houston by default the way they play is it's never going to be fully aesthetically pleasing. Like okay, no- I, I guess I guess how about this? You fully also can't judge. Are we playing in the bubble next season? Because I think Steph Curry and Clay Thompson shoot forty eight percent from three if they're if they're playing in the bubble. Okay, so and one of my not, one of my bubble takes is the NBA has been pushing ball. the NBA has pushed the freedom of emphasis rules for a while. So, um, if you've been keeping up, the league is super paranoid that people think the games are fixed. In the OOs, you know, we all know they fixed it for the Lakers to win with Kobe and Shaq against the Kings. Um, and, and they did it again lo- in 2016. A lot of that was based off of giving refs discretion to call fouls on flow. And so, the, the league really pushes call it by the letter of the law. Well, if the letter of the law says any contact is a foul and there's no fans in the crowd, so you can hear the contact and see the contact clearer because as much as you try to make refs robots, they're human. They respond to the crowd, right? I think it's led to just way too big of an advantage for the offense in general. Yeah, as if as if we watched the regular season this year, like the offense wasn't scoring already, like insane right. amounts. Like I'm right. watching I'm watching the freaking Atlanta Hawks drop 130. I'm like, why? This team is trash. There just should, should be no reason in the world why they should be scoring. Uh, I with, I'm with you. I agree. It, it, it's not – it's exciting when you see it, – it's exciting to watch Jamal Murray do this because I do think there's a part of it where it's like, okay, is Jamal Murray taking a leap? Is he, is he becoming like that Steph Curry type of guy? And then I sit back and I think a little bit more and I'm like, do we really count what's happening in the bubble – as something that's going to be sustainable if we're back. Jamal Murray, by the way, ties, ties back to my, my, my point on creativity. Yeah, 18 points in the regular season. <laughs> yeah. I mean, he's, 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 I think he's better than what he did in the regular season and not as good as how he is in the bubble. So somewhere in between, I'm still a Jamal Murray believer. I need to see him put together a season as opposed to just like four games in a row where he plays like this. <laughs> by the way, you were saying about creativity. Yeah. Uh, b- because he's, he's very comfortable taking those shots that defenses want you to give him. And I mean, he's, he's hitting 60% on pull-ups right now. Probably not going to do that because um, if he did, he'd be the greatest player of all time. But the point stands, he's, he's a good pull-up shooter. So 
Um, there is value to being able to freelance like that. And I think we're seeing it in these series, uh, taking it back. I think the biggest thing I'm taking from the bubble is the Warriors need to get more athletic, man. The teams who I've been most impressed by are teams who have a lot of athletic wings and it's nothing new. The Warriors pretty much won for five years in a row by surrounding Steph with a bunch of athletic wings, right? But remember, even against OKC, they were run over by a team that was way more athletic. Remember that, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, that was actually a great example where they're just like, okay, these guys are more athletic and bigger than us. But I'm watching, like, the Lakers. <clears throat> Anthony Davis at this point is basically a wing defender. Like, he's kind of a hybrid. I always felt like he should play five, and I still think they're going to run into issues with him not playing the five enough. Um but man, he can switch on the perimeter and just do whatever he wants defensively that way and gets him out in transition. Um, Kawhi goes without saying. Kawhi and, and Paul George has had a rough first round, but Paul George's defense, he's still able to do those things. He hasn't done it at the level that we're used to. Um, and then and then Boston and Toronto also stick out in my mind as having just guys who are six seven, six nine in that range, long, athletic, very comfortable guarding, multiple positions. And I'm sitting here going, all right, Steph, Steph's a legend. Well, we Steph can do. Clay does his thing. Draymond does his thing. But they need to add a couple more. They just need more athleticism to yep. hang out with these teams. Otherwise, they're going to look like the Milwaukee Bucks look tonight where you're like, dude, they're – I mean, Giannis is a freak. But the rest of the roster is not particularly athletic. Well, the, the problem here is that every player you named is the star player of the team. Sure. So, Jason you can Tatum. Even, you can even go to Boston. I mean, it, forget Tatum. I, th- I think Jalen Brown. I mean, sorry. I think, I think the, the Raptors are probably like the best example I think that you made. Yeah, I think, you know, Marcus Smart is, is, is uh, he's still small. But I think, yeah, Jalen Brown, right? He's a, he's a, although he might even be a star, Sam. He's, he's pretty. He is a, he's he's pretty, a star. He's pretty <laughs> but I think I think what he, the problem, not the problem, but I think one of the things that makes the Warriors most unique here is their plus their best players, or their two best offensive players are Steph and Clay, and they're never been athletic, like at least from like a jumping and defensive. Sure, kind of but Clay Clay is able to Six, cover seven. a lot of ground. Right. So I just think he's that not just vertical, comes- but he moves really quick laterally and cut Noah, no, 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 uh, no high jump. But Sam, I just, I don't know what you're supposed to do because you're not going to get an Anthony Davis. You're not going to get a Jason Tatum. No, no, no. no that's, that's not my point. My point is if we're looking at them returning this core next year, what we should be prioritizing around them is athleticism and length more than shooting. And that's like, okay, obviously so, okay. Obvi- you want it all. Right. Yeah. Yes. Right. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. We know that's not possible. So that's why we're, we're not so, talking so about So that's that. where, that's where I'm, I've, I've gone full circle on this one. I've thought about that's it. That's what I'm trying to say. You have then, because at first you were saying that maybe you throw shooting around the team because the team has always been goons and stuff, right? E- right. Even where it's just like defenders and stuff. So now you're telling me that you want, or you're thinking with the way the NBA is today, that you're okay with putting like, the present day version of Alpha Rico Minu and Mo Harkless around these guys and saying, I hope they do run. better than that. But yeah, <laughs> but yeah, your point stands. I mean, I guess, I guess my, my broader point is Andy, if I'm asking you, would you rather have a knockdown shooter 
who's kind of a defensive liability or a guy who you can count on to guard multiple positions and cut a little bit, but maybe that jump shot's not very like, okay. How about this? Would you rather have JJ Redick or Lou Dort on this team? That's what we're, that's, I, I mean, that's a really superficial way to get at the conversation because, and quite frankly, both of them are shooting guards, which is not really what, I mean, I'm looking for like small. I think, I think you take Lou Dort though, but I think you take Lou Dort. I think, I, I think, and that's why to me, I like Marcus Smart so much on this team. And that's why I was in love with that trade. And I, I don't know how much I am now. I, you know, a couple months ago when we were in the same position talking about the same shit, I was like, oh, we could trade the whatever the lottery pick is for Marcus Smart and the TPE, right? Um, and I'm watching that game <laughs> against the Raptors and Marcus Smart is shooting 5% from three in the first round. And all of a sudden he makes six threes in game one. And he just, just maintains shades of, shades of like early playoff run Draymond Green <laughs> just no, for no reason he just makes six threes and they all look pretty um which Draymond's threes never did but on defensively he's magical right he's switching right. on one, two, three even four in a pinch and to me yes I agree with you um although do we count Marcus Smart as athletic I uh, yeah. yeah yeah I mean he's long here's the thing Marcus Smart than Jordan Poole maybe six three yeah probably more like six two but he's got like a six ten wingspan so he plays bigger um I guess what we're talking about is like length, athleticism, physicality. I, I would consider Marcus Smart athletic. There's more to athleticism than high jumping. And like Steph, Steph is athletic. Yeah. Well, yeah, but I, yeah. Um, so okay, so no, okay. Let's let's. I I, I want to dig into this a little more because what made the Warriors great great was surrounding it with wing players. Sean Livingston not the most athletic. Andre Iguodala. But he's long, was, but they're long. Yeah. So it. <laughs> It's. I think it's hard. It's just hard when your two best players aren't those type of players, right? I think it's easier. You can build a team around LeBron and Anthony Davis. Just Those guys are just freaks to begin with. You can build a team around Jason Tatum and, and Jalen Brown because those guys are just peak athletic wings to begin with. Uh, even Pascal Siakam um, and, and the rest of those guys, and they've got like a stable of wings. Um, OG. Yeah, OG, I don't know. But then you look at you look at like the Denver Nuggets and the Utah Jazz. Uh, maybe we can look at them as an as an example. They don't have defensive wings, and, and you're not and they buying play no them defense. Go, and you're not buying them to go farther. Nope. Honestly, that's what it comes down to. It's like you love yourself some Donovan Mitchell, Jamal Murray. Jokic is obviously an amazing playmaker, just a great like fulcrum of an offense in general. But you're watching them, and you're like. I don't know, man. Like Michael Porter Jr. better figure out how to defend really quickly. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. If he, I don't know if he will. I don't know if he will either. Like, I think he's amazing for a rookie, but he's not, I'm not holding him to the scrutiny. I hold uh, Harden or Westbrook or those guys too, who, you know, we've seen, we know what they can do. So doesn't this put more pressure on, we talked about this, but this is more pressure on Draymond Green because Draymond Green is going to be half the guy, going to be going to have to be the guy that was defensive of the player, player of the year, Draymond Green. And yeah, know, but Sam, I think, Sam, I think Sam also, believe, but well, so that's the other thing. I think if you put length around Draymond, he can quarterback them. I don't think he like, here's the thing. You give Draymond someone with Andrew Wiggins' physical profile. And if Wiggins is bought in, they'll be good defensively, largely because Draymond's the guy who's quarterbacking it from the back line, right? Um, 
But if you give Draymond like Monte Ellis um, sure. and D'Angelo Russell and guys like that, like he's he's not a miracle worker. He's not going to make them longer and more instinctive than they already are. So my big thing is like I'm not saying just draft a bunch of long dudes who have no clue how to be basketball. Although it's worked for OKC because they know how to actually identify the ones who do. I was going to say yeah. Um, but they do. I do think the Warriors watching everything here. I'm like, they need to get some size, some functional size around the core to really compete next year. Can- um, to, to, and when I say compete, I mean like actually beat the LA teams as opposed to be like a cute second round team. Because honestly, Bob Myers can mail in this summer, and if they're healthy, they're gonna go to the second round without thinking. I know? think I think even the Western Conference Finals, um, unless they really tank the offseason, I think beating the LA teams, yes, but I also am not super impressed by the LA teams regardless. But, um, but okay, do, then, do you agree with me, though? The LA I, teams I, are the standard that they need to beat right now in the West. So what I'm saying is with no one else on the roster, I don't know that they beat the LA teams. Let, let me ask you this. Let me ask you this. Let me give you this hypothetical. Let's say... Because even if you bring in some athletic wings, I don't think whoever you're bringing in is closing. I I just don't think. I, oh, I disagree. Who who? What what wing are they bringing in that's closing? Um, I was going to give you. I was by the way. I'm not really counting Josh Richardson because my hypothetical was was can you close with the core four, which is Steve Kerr comedy calling Andrew Wiggins as part of the core four, sure. and draw and Josh Richardson, who I don't really count as a wing, but can no, you close with no, that because, five? No, because. Um, Justerson too small, and Wiggins okay. is oh. too small. I don't yeah. think I don't. I think, agree. I, I agree. think part of the reason they were able to close with Draymond at, at five was because Barnes is a big. Yes, I mean Barnes is a power forward. Yes, I, and I then Katie Katie is the same size as eighty, so. and, and and Iguodala, and then Iguodala. Let's not forget. Yeah, okay. Iguodala is a big small forward. So then let me ask you this: Who are they bringing in that can really that can really change the closing lineup? Because Okay, I guess you so can bring let's, even let's, run th- let's run through. I have a list of oh, you do best case scenarios for the mid level and best case scenarios for the TPE. Okay, so for the the mid level, Mo Harkless, Marcus Morris, oh god, Jay Crowder, yeah, uh, yeah. Josh Jackson. Yeah. Honestly, I don't know if you can get Danilo Gallinari for that. Um, you could also potentially get someone like Marcus All, Aaron Baines, Serge Ibaka. Those guys are pure centers, but all those guys are closing. Jay Crowder is closing, right? Marcus Morris is closing. Jay Crowder is a guy who I could see playing small ball four next to Draymond. It might be too small. It might be too small, but um, those are some of the options. I actually think the better options for them are probably the TPE. Okay, but let's pause here because I think with the mid level exception, I think what What's important here is I think it, it'll mostly be depth. I think what you're saying from an athleticism right. standpoint is like you're getting these guys the seventh seventh uh, man, the eighth man. I, I just – okay, but we'll go into TPE because I don't know what you can get, um, That what wing, what athletic wing well, you okay. can get to close. But let's – yeah. This is interesting. We had um, – I'll pull up the quote right now. I'm pulling it up right now. Oh, wow. I'm Some of the talks – revolved around teams potentially packaging the pick with Kelly Oubre in an attempt to free up some money in the free agency and facilitate a trade. So Phoenix wants to cut salary. So maybe Kelly Oubre is attainable for very cheap. Kelly Oubre, 6'8", okay. 7'2", wingspan. 
he at least has the size to play four. Okay. Okay. But I has agree. he been good at it? Uh, yeah. The, the good at it is tough. It's it's almost like let me ask you this. If if Steve Kerr had a choice between Rudy Gay and, and Kelly Oubre. <laughs> well, we know we know where Steve's gone. <laughs> I don't know if he's wrong in this one either, but yeah, I don't because I think Rudy Gay's closing. And I don't think that's a bad option, too. No. I think it might be the best option at closing. If you're talking about size, if you don't think that Josh Richardson is closing because the team is too small, then you put Rudy Gay at the floor. Can, can, can we talk about Josh Richardson a little bit? Um, I, love, I love Jay Rich. So so it's he was not, let's just say, um, good, optimistic about Philly. Uh, he's going to be a free agent in a year. So there's a lot of, and Philly is very expensive right now. There's thought that they might just move him to try to get a future asset, maybe like a late first or something for him. What does Josh Richardson do for the Warriors if the Warriors use their TPE on him? If they, if they offer, let's put it this way. If the Warriors say, you can have our 2021 first, not the Minnesota one, but the Warriors one, like lottery protected. So we're saying like the 25th pick for Josh Richardson. What does Josh Richardson do for the Warriors? First of all, I do that in two seconds. Second of all, uh, a second, uh, uh, Josh Richardson was not that great on offense with Miami, but he became like a really good basketball player. That's just because he had the ball a lot in Miami. Um, he's a good shooter, but he's kind of streaky. Um, he can handle a little bit. I think he's quite he's a perfect match also with warriors from a standpoint of uh, he could pass, he can cut because he comes from Miami. Right. Um, like you said, though, they've done the hard work for us. Le- yeah, they have same with, same with even the rafters when you're getting Alfonso McKinney. The <laughs> problem here though, is that you agree with me and that you don't know if Josh Richardson can close with the warriors. Um, but it isn't, would also that, depend- isn't that more of an issue of um, the Warriors not really Josh Wiggins, Richardson being good enough not to close? Wiggins and Clay are neither one of them are uh, big enough to play the four. Let me ask you this, then Sam. Let me ask you this: What if Marcus Saul or let's say Serge Ibaka is at the five, and do they bench Andrew Wiggins in crunch time? Because Josh Richardson's better, so you play Steph, Jay Rich, Clay, Draymond, and Gasol because that's pretty good defensively. And you do have enough, just enough shooting there to, to, to get by. But you're now sitting Andrew Wiggins, who's making 30 mil plus a year on the bench in crunch time. Your thoughts? I think that's a realistic situation. I think it's not the worst thing in the world for the Warriors to have too many wings and not know who they want to close with. Okay. Um, I still think they probably close with Wiggins until he proves he can't. Doesn't matter. Um, yeah. And trade value. <laughs> more importantly, it, we're talking about a bunch of wing minutes that need to be eaten. Like Josh Richardson can still get starters minutes with sure. Wiggins, Clay, sure. uh, and Steph. So, um, I, I like the trade from that standpoint, but it doesn't unlock the, the fifth, the fifth guy in the closing lineup yeah. is kind of the best way to look at it. And that's okay. The Warriors may not be able to find their optimized lineup around Steph and Clay. Um, in one off season, it may take acquiring a few players who make sense and then making a trade down the line. Why is, do you, why is it that this small lineup can't close though? Because they're too small. Um, they're too small already. 
No, I mean, like a big part of the small lineup that's worked for the Warriors is one, Draymond gets all the credit and, you know, rightfully so. But like we're watching Houston here. PJ Tucker's playing the Draymond role, but Covington being 6'8 with a 7'1 wingspan, being able to block shots and do all that weak side stuff and um, just basically being a bigger wing is a big reason why it works. Also, by the way, also a reason why he's not Andre Iguodala is he's just absolutely getting torched by Chris Paul. Just he's a fucking. He's window. actually better at at, um, at weak side defense at the rim than he is at guarding the perimeter. Yeah, lateral quickness is hard though, right? It's not a lot. It of is. It that. is. Yeah. Um, um, but I was gonna say he's a lot bigger than the guys we're listing, and he has the length to protect the rim. Clay is not protecting the rim. Josh Richardson's closer to six five than he is to six seven, and he's. He's probably got like a six nine, six ten wingspan. Very good for the two or the three. Not so good for the four or the five. Yeah, the and then Wiggins, are... Wiggins is too skinny. Same Wiggins thing. is an excellent, or sorry, he has a potential to be an excellent perimeter defender. But I can't see Wiggins being the guy who's patrolling the paint. Like yeah. it's just not who he is. Yep. All right, man. Let's let's get to these Twitter questions before we get out of here. Let's try to zoom through them, Sam. All right, because um, we're like f- almost an hour in. All right, let's go with this first one here. Uh, Somebody asked okay. about IU. Nice. All right, from uh, Jorge Magana, 12. If the Warriors go with Wiseman at number two, who are some free agent wings they can target? Who can you see anchoring the second unit and providing scoring without Steph and Clay? Oh, well, we just talked about this. I, I will say this. I don't think the Warriors are going to draft James Wiseman. So if you're not a James Wiseman fan, Warriors fans, I think you'll be uh, – from Sam's sources, I think you'll be happy to know that the Warriors what? probably don't, don't want James Wiseman. I think the, nah, I think nah, they're, I think they're happier probably trading back and 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 drafting on, on Kongu or something like that. I don't think James Wiseman is going to happen. What? So. No, and I disagree with you there. Um, I don't think that's not. But I do think Wiseman. The issue with Wiseman is he's not their type of player. No, 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 I disagree with you there. They already have Marquise Chris, Kayvon think, Looney, think, and um, Smile Geach. They're going to want to get a veteran center. So if they draft Wiseman and sign a veteran center, they got to move one of those dudes for a wing. So the bigger issue with Wiseman is I, I don't see the Warriors drafting him with the intention to have him be like Mr. Close lineups. They draft him to play the backup center role year one. And if he exceeds expectations, so be it, right? Like they should be so lucky for him to be that good, right? Um. And and it gets back to what we were saying earlier, which is there's not a lot of good wings on the market. Period. I, I mean, I, like I you, just, can get, I, you can get Glenn Robinson the third back, but I mean, like, from, he's not answering. He's answering all your questions. They'll, they'll get him back. I, I think a problem with that is I think it's just a way of building a team, man. I I don't think that. I think I think it's for them a lot about fit. I think for big men, they don't want someone like Wiseman who's a little bit more hit or miss and can do more things. I think Okongwu is just someone that's going to fit day one. He's a good defensive player, catch the ball, rim run, doesn't really do anything outside of that really, but he could be a great defensive player. I just think that's probably better for them. They probably want that more. But again, we're, who cares? Let's, let's move on to the next one. All right, from MP3 Coog. Given the importance of the upcoming draft and free agency for the franchise, what is your confidence level in Bob Myers in executing a successful offseason? How do recent decisions surrounding Russell, Wiggins, Andre inform your opinion of Bob currently and looking back at the past 12 months? What would you have done differently 
i.e. hold on to Russell till 2020 offseason, inherit trade exception, KD sign and trade, etc. I, I think there is a uh, – we spent a lot of time questioning the, the Warriors front office. So maybe you can answer the first part, Sam. But for the second part, I would not have done th- anything differently from what Bob Myers did with the D'Lo stuff. I think that's just something you had to do. Um, if KD's going to leave, you sign and trade, you get something of value so you can flip them for something. They got, I think more importantly, that first round pick from Minnesota versus Andrew Wiggins. But, they they got that, like, but yeah, you're right. I mean, they could have only got that if they got D'Lo. Exactly. And I think that obviously Steve Kerr wanted to run it back. If you were a coach, you probably would have run it back too. But I think from a, from a GM perspective, I think that's the best thing you could have done. Maybe they could have gotten more from Minnesota for D'Lo. I don't know. But I think I wouldn't have done anything different. You just, you have to extract value as much as possible. And I think part of it's like, if you talk, there was people who were like, oh, why are they talking shit about D'Lo? Who cares? He'll be fine. He makes like 40 million a year. Gives a fuck. Only 30. Um, um, <laughs> what I was going to say is actually everything I need to know about Bob I learned last summer. That's a tough decision. He immediately pivoted off of KD leaving to dumping Iguodala, who is beloved. I don't think he's afraid to make a tough decision. I don't think he's – I honestly don't think Bob would be afraid to trade point. anyone on the Warriors, including Draymond, Clay, Steph. Um, I think – my question, although, although my question, still, my question, still come back to their ability to evaluate talent. I know they know how to evaluate good talent and how it fits with the Warriors. They know who they like and who they don't. Are they a team who knows how to scout diamonds in the rough and develop them? That's to be seen, man. That's where I'm at with them. They're, um, they're not the like. I, I hate to always go back to Giants analogies, but. The San Francisco Giants would have kept Iguodala past his expiration date, right? They're not. They're not going to. They're not going to. They're not going to. They're not going to do that. At the same time, I'm not convinced that they know how to scout the next generation of talent. So we'll see with Bob and the the staff. Yeah, I I think part of that's also development. Uh, Sorry, developmental, Um, because you can only scout talent as much as you can. I, I don't know. I don't know if the Miami Heat really figured out that Duncan Robinson was going to be the best shooter in the NBA this season. I don't know that. I, 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 I think but part I of it's do like, know that they figured out that Tyler Hero was a value at 13 when that was not an obvious pick. Correct. Correct. So uh, that's, where, that's where I give them credit. I do know that they knew Kendrick Nunn was good. I do know that they knew Bam Adebayo, who was, I don't want to say mediocre in college, but he certainly wasn't a standout. I guess it's both, right? They developed them into the great players that they are today, but they like, also like, slaughtered yeah, their stuff. There. Like Duncan Robinson turning into some <laughs> sort of like hybrid of Clay and Kyle Korver, not expected. But yeah, so. the rest of the stuff, you know. Yeah. All right. Next one. From uh, DJLM5, Aaron Baines, better than Marcus All. Marcus All looks bad. He looks bad in the bubble, Sam. He looks slow. Uh, the shooting's not really there. I don't even know. He's not even shooting at this point. Um, did God, he get he's too such skinny? A perfe- he's such a perfect warrior he's where he's too, where he's too, like, he thinks too much before shooting. He's always uh, trying to make, like, the perfect pass. Like, he really is meant to be the warrior. Like, you look at the 40% from three, you're like, oh, wow, he can pass and shoot 40%. That doesn't really tell the story of, uh, you know, how, how timid a shooter he is sometimes. 
great angles on screens. Um, so amazing, ama- <laughs> but but Aaron Baines also amazing angles. On that screens. is true, but he did he did break Steph's hand. Um, so I think we got to go with Marcus all. No, but seriously, I think there's but, part of it, but did break was breaking the hand an inside job to get all the assets. <laughs> that is true. That is true. Uh, I think there's part of it with Marcus all maybe in a win now move. Also, I think Aaron Baines goes for more than Marcus all, uh, just let's just, well, because you can off. give Mark, you can give Aaron Baines more years comfortably knowing that he's like three years younger. So and Marcus all is probably willing to take less. Uh, he also has quote unquote, championship experience sam so um so maybe I'll, I'll probably stick with marcus i'll have it a choice it's not it's it's not like aaron baines is, is the star center so pool or smiley we're not doing this come on no we're moving to the next one um actually we're going down to danny burt 33 how much of an advantage does the current warriors ownership give them do you see them being able to keep the warriors in the Ooh. spotlight for decades like the lakers and celtics or is this a big run and done scenario we, you want to go this, first on this one? This is a good question. I love this, this is, one. This is a uh, this is a, a much bigger question than I think we're really willing to get into right yeah, now. Yeah, with with an hour in. So let, maybe let's spend five minutes on it. Okay. So really quickly, what I think is there's a battle of philosophies between I think Joe Lacob and 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 maybe Bob Myers. Where I think someone like Bob Myers or even Steve Kerr wants to run it like the Celtics or the Spurs, where they draft and develop and extend this thing for ten years. I think what Joe Lacob wants to do is it's like the first cute girl you see at the club. He does not care. He's going for it. It's, he's not waiting. <laughs> he's not waiting, right, Sam, for the third or fourth, and maybe there's someone better. If he sees Joel Embiid, he's taking him, right? If he sees, if he sees Andrew Wiggins, honestly, can't play, can't blame him. <laughs> can't blame him. So I think Lacob's wants that Lakers vibe, which is more variance, right? Because you could be really shitty if you end up with Dwight Howard and Steve Nash, and then you're now terrible for five years. But right. then you, you end up with LeBron because you're in LA. Um, so I don't know. What do you think? I, I think Bob Myers, Steve Kerr, more on the Celtics side. I think they are going to be positioned to make noise for a long time. I would not be surprised if they go through a prolonged slump. Um, it's going to be interesting uh, to be in the Lakers Celtic category. You have to have like three to four iterations of title teams. Like we make fun of the Celtics, but the Celtics won titles with Bill Russell and Kuzi, then with like Larry Bird, then with Kevin Garnett and like that sort of thing. Like the Lakers goes without saying you have like the magic Kareem teams, Kobe Shaq, Kobe Pow. Um, you know, LeBron's probably never going to win a title for them, but whatever. Uh, you know, he'll, he'll, he'll be like Elgin Baylor or something. Um, but but <laughs> I had to get that in. Um, but my point stands like to be one of those teams, you have to have that test of time to, to do it. So I think right now they're on tier two. They have a lot of fans. They have the money. They have the motivation, but you have to show you can build a winner after Steph. And I think it's going to get rocky because right now, because they they inherited Steph Curry. They inherited Steph as the focal point. What happens when Steph, Clay, and everyone retires? Are they able to get a guy in free agency or do they have to actually draft and develop and figure it all out there? Because you can be the best run organization in the world, like the Spurs. When your best player is LaMarcus Aldridge, you're not going anywhere. Yeah, you're fucked. This isn't baseball. You, you don't just get to draft someone and you just probably know in five years that the Giants are going to be great. Um, right. Yeah. I mean, like you, you, you don't know. Yeah, exactly. Um, good point. All right. Well, we should 
you we should think about that more flesh that out in a premium or something um yeah we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna dig deeper into that one when the time comes right but i love that question thank you danny for that one um damn we have a million questions prediction from ricky g not that ricky g but from ricky g 157 prediction as to where prediction as to when next season starts and if the warriors have fans in some capacity uh i'll go first mlk day so that's just a stand-in date for late january and no fans I agree. I don't know about date, but I, I can almost, it's no fans. There's no I don't fans. think they're starting before Christmas. Actually, I'm willing to put all my money on them not starting before Christmas. It's a question of if they start on Christmas or late January for me. Um, the no fan stuff is, is going to be interesting because it, it does tie into, are the Warriors going to spend all $17 million in the TPE if they're gonna, if they're building into the Is the league going to try to negotiate down salaries? Or are they going to try to be like, yeah. hey, we're taking a 30% loss, you take a 30% on salary, or we're, ho- we're locking you out? Like, baseball tried to do that. <coughs> baseball essentially told the union, we're losing 30% of our revenue, and – to play the games, you guys need to give up 30% of your contract Sam, or not. And then we're going to, and then baseball ended up going, okay, we'll just do 60 games then. So, yeah. And and that's the MLB players union. Can you imagine what the the NBA players union is going (laughs) to? Yeah. I mean, I mean, it's all unprecedented. Maybe, maybe, um, you know, shout out UC Davis for coming up with a cure. Uh, Who knows? I mean, this all changes if a vac, if if a positive vaccine shows up, but yeah, that won't happen for a while. So, I don't know, we'll see. But, um, but yeah, I mean, I'm optimistically, I'm hoping spring of next year, and that's me being on the uh, the more positive side of things. Yeah. So, uh, is Andy serious about reading for the Lakers from Rue? This is a anti Lakers. No, no, no. I, I will. I will cancel this podcast if Andy buys a Lakers shirt. <laughs> uh, all right. Do we have any more? I got. I do have one more bet online read actually. Um. So let me read this last one. And if you have oh, a question, here, here we'll we go. Them. Need okay. one enticing reason to subscribe to premium content from GSW Cowboy. I will say this. I will say this. Sam does talk a lot more about what he hears around the league. Sorry, he talks primarily about what he hears around the league on premium. So, um, and he's as plugged in as it gets uh, as Warriors World Sheeta. No, I, I think I think premium is good. Um, we're trying to do more. It's just, life is tough. Uh, just busy people. You get access to the Discord to chat. We're, we're putting up more pods on the premium. Um, Discord chat is the most fun thing. Can we talk about that for a second? That's like, I think the primary reason why people uh, subscribe to premium so mu- content. So much fun. I mean, it's like, the premium feed is what Twitter was 10 years ago or like eight years ago, or just blogging was seven, eight years ago where you can be unfiltered and have fun and say what you think without being worried about someone dunking on you. So, so it, it's not like it's trolling too. You know what I mean? It's like a legitimate conversation where it's like, okay, like do the warriors, do they want to do Marvin Bagley and the 12 for two? And instead of like, well, like what the fuck? Like Bagley sucks. Instead, it'll be more like okay, like Bagley's maybe undersized for a fight. Like you know, like an actual basketball conversation. I think that's been pretty fun. I think that's been the best part of premium so far that we've done. Can we can we actually talk about Bagley before we get uh, out of here? Uh, yeah, let's do. Uh, let me let me do a read. We'll talk about Bagley and then let's get out. Let's do this. Okay. All 
All right, so Bet Online. Did somebody say playoffs? NBA and NHL are playing for the gold. And our partners at Bet Online have you covered. Get in all the action, including a new NBA bracket contest with plenty of chances to win. MLB season is pushing into fall, and there's no shortage of ways to bet with hundreds of odds, futures, and props. So take advantage of the return of sports. And remember, the casino never closes, and you can't get COVID. Bet Online. Check it out all day, all night. Go to betonline.ag. Use promo code BLUEWIRE to receive your welcome bonus. That's betonline.ag. Promo code BLUEWIRE, as always. Bet Online, your online sportsbook experts all right let's close this baby out all right marvin bagley um we're gonna get into this more on other pods by the way i i was talking with our draft guys um wasserman vicini a few other people we're gonna get them on the pod in the coming weeks i don't really see the point to go too hard into the draft while the bubble is really this interesting so yeah it's been great um bagley's an interesting one because i think he's underrated right now um, he's never going to be a Luca. He'll probably never be Trey. Although I'm not a big Trey guy, but I do think Bagley has more potential than people think. And I, I let me walk through why. The only big man I can think of who's quicker off the second bounce than him is maybe Anthony Davis. Like he is absurdly oh, quick. Oh, I cannot. Sorry. You know I'm right though. You know I'm right. Come on. Come back here. How many bigs do you know have a second jump that quick and hands like that? Okay, first of all, Draymond has an incredible second jump. But well, what mean, year are you living? What year, are, are, do you want to tell me about Tim Lincecum's cutter too? Like, come <laughs> on, man. What the year thing, are you the, living? The, the thing was pretty filthy. Uh, you're talking offensively, so I agree with you. Sorry, but I'm gonna let you finish your point. I don't, I'm gonna cut you off. I'm gonna let you finish your point with. Bar, with I'm curious to see what Bagley's defense turns into on a good team. Yes. He can move his feet. I don't know about his hands, and this is what's interesting to me. Okay, so do you think defense is teachable in that capacity? If I if I give you someone who can move laterally at an elite level, which he can, do you, can you make them competent, or is defensively inherently feel-related, and I don't care what his physical gifts are, it's just never coming? You can make someone competent on defense. And when you have someone like Ron Adams, I think that's the goal. You can make someone, I think you can make Marquise Chris competent, JaVale McGee. You can make them, even Andrew Wiggins, you can make them slightly you, you above average. Com- function in a team content. You can't get them to be great. No, you can't get them to be a good dollar Draymond or Clay, but I think you can get them to be competent. So your, your point is taken. I, I think it's fair. Um, part of it's who's around him in that lineup where he's the, at that five, right? Because I don't think he's playing the four. I don't know. I can't. I don't think he's playing the four, Sam. He's playing the four, and Draymond's playing the five. Yeah, Ah. I think that's fair too. Um, No, he's got the physical. He's got the physical profile of a guy who would play well next to Draymond in a speed lineup because he's obviously athletic as hell, and he can switch everything theoretically, physically. Theoretically. Um, So, so that twenty-one. That's that's the way I look at him. Um, does he solve the issues with needing a physical presence? No, <laughs> you know, he, he is young. He is young. He is 21. He had some incredible scoring games as a rookie. I remember that he's been I very mean, he, injury prone. He's, he's super bouncy. Yep. He he's, he's got great touch. At least from what I've watched. It's not like, yeah, I've that's, a, that's the games. other, the, I mean, the best way to describe him is even a guy college. who's absurdly quick off his feet with amazing hands. 
And I'm not sure there's any other skill you can attribute to him at this point that's like refined. Yeah, he's too he's too young. They haven't seen him enough. I think a good comp for him that I think about Marquise is- Chris. No, no, no. He's much better than Marquise Chris. Come on, uh, higher ceiling. Right, much higher. I, I I don't I don't know if I'd like Bagley, but he's he's certainly like a legitimate prospect. Um, he would go number one in this draft. All right, who, who's a right? who's a prospect you comp him to? Then you were about to uh, go there. I messed. Well, I, I, I look. I look at this guy shooting, and he shoots a lot better. But John Collins is someone that I think of in that kind of tweener realm, where I don't think John okay. Collins is okay. ever going to be able to close. Collins also shoots like thirty five percent from three, which is like I don't know if Bagley can shoot from three. Collins yeah. is also pretty automatic from like the fifteen footer. But yeah, he's good offensively. You, yeah. Okay. That's that's actually. Um, I don't want to say that's a low, low end projection for him, but like that's kind of who he's, if nothing, if none of the like potential on defense comes together, that's who he is. Yeah. And and by the way, Collins averages like 20 points the last two seasons, but I think part of that is just playing on a shit team with just a bunch of reps. Um, So I I don't know, like part of that is kind of inflated. Right. And you look at Baglin, he's playing on a terrible team with like no reps and just terrible players around him outside of De'Aaron. Um, I, is this, I, I guess this would be kind of like a, um, if you can't get Josh Richardson, you can't get this or that, then you're just, well, like, is this, is this upside enough for you? I, I guess that's back a, to 12 here. So I've always viewed like the ideal for the Warriors as getting someone who's in their third or fourth year. So like you're getting that young player to bridge the gap, but you don't have to deal with like the first two years of growing pains. The problem is like, Oh yeah, like like Tatum entering his fourth year, like oh, but they're not going to trade him, you know. <laughs> like, you know, it's like you're either dealing with guys who are too proven, like him or Luca or something like that, or guys like Bagley, where you're like, man, I thought you'd be a lot better than you were, and you're just still this kind of mystery box prospect. I. <laughs> So this is perfect. I mean, we talked about Jonathan Isaac, or you brought up Jonathan Isaac eight months ago now, but right. I thought that was like a great name. Um, this is obviously tears below that, but um, I think a lot of Bagley where people don't like him or someone like me doesn't really or look at this and scoffs is because we haven't seen him play. He's been injured and he's in a trash team and organization where... Isn't that why he's undervalued though? This is my yeah. big thing with him. Um, yeah, obviously Jonathan Isaac's much better than Bagley, but Jonathan Isaac... Uh, would have been unattainable if he didn't tear his ACL. You can maybe yeah. get him now, but like now you're just like playing for the falling season. I do it. Um, I do it. I do it. Oh, that's tough, man. You're throwing a year, but like, but you're right because like when he comes back, you know what you got. Um, but yeah, like Bagley's the quintessential example of you know the potentials there, but he's been in a terrible team. He's disappointed enough that he's attainable. And that's the thing that makes it um, tough because you want more certainty and you're probably not ready to bread on the Warriors. Cause like, if you felt like the Warriors knew what they were doing, you'd be like, bring Bagley, give Kerr's going to give him that culture juice for four months. And he's going to turn into Anthony Davis. Culture juice. She please make a culture juice shirt. Um, <laughs> by, by, by the way, I, I will talk myself into it if they get this deal done. I, I do think that for what the Warriors are, there is a huge missing piece in that middle of the rotate, that center position. And it ain't going to be solved by Chris. Kevon Looney's hips, even if he's healthy, ain't going to play more than 20 minutes a game. So I don't 
I don't, I think there's a piece there. I think he fills that gap. Um, I'll talk myself into it. Um, and it does work. And like you were saying, I think somebody said this a couple of weeks ago, a big man transition um, for the Warriors is probably one of the easiest or the easier ones. I think one of the harder ones is probably for a wing in terms of what you have to do. Um, so I don't know, man. Did I just talk? Did we just talk ourselves? Did I? Did you just talk me into Bagley in five minutes? Maybe. You know, Let's so. go. We'll talk about it next week. Um, sorry, we're so uh, helter skelter at the top of the pod. Sorry, the Rockets embarrassing themselves is like it's hard for me and Andy to be normal humans. It's it's just like that's that's like our. Uh, it's a, it's our bread and butter. It's what yeah. it's for. So we'll be back with premium and premium in a couple of days. Um, everyone, stay safe. We're back later.